Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now we are a nation of animal lovers and with that comes a lot of care. But how have things been for those who make it their life's work to take charge of that care in the last few years? Today I'm delighted to be joined by three vets. We've got Elish O'Byrne-White, um, who's the veterinary surgeon at the DSPCA, who also features on the RTE series The Shelter, Animal SOS on Friday nights. We also have Connor Garrity, a veterinary surgeon at Garrity and Neary uh, Veterinary in Mount Bellew over there in County Galway. He's also a former president of Veterinary Ireland. And from the sunny southeast, we've got Dr. Rosalinda Devereaux, owner at Wexford Equine Veterinary Practice and president of the Irish Equine Veterinary Association. So everybody is remote. It just shows how busy you all are. And it's great to have three vets uh, on the show with us today to talk about the business uh, of being a vet. We might start with you, Elise, if you would. Uh, How did you get into veterinary? And was it always something you knew that you wanted to do? Uh, Well, actually, in my case, no. I had no interest in veterinary when I was younger. It wasn't really on my horizon at all. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I did a general science degree in Trinity first, really broad. I specialized in zoology. And um, then once I left college, I kind of did jobs here and there, but didn't really find anything that I I really liked. And I um, I thought I might see a bit of practice with a vet down in Waterford. So I went down and I uh, saw practice for two weeks down there. And uh, that kind of kind of hooked me uh, at that point and I realized actually that's a job I'd I'd like doing. Um, so I ended up going back and doing graduate entry veterinary in UCD. Wow. And so that was four years uh, graduate entry and then, yeah, I qualified in 2019. Great. Stay with us, Elise. Very interesting. Uh, our next guest is Connor Garrity uh, over there in Mount Bellew in County Galway. Connor, how did you get into the veterinary game? Um, well, I qualified from UCD in '99. Went in from Leaving Cert. Um, wanted to be a vet, I suppose, most of my uh, from from early secondary school on, Bobby. And uh, was from a farm and very interested in that end of it. And my parents were adamant, of course, that I go to college, and um, it seemed like a natural thing to do. So, um, and you never look back. Never look back. Yeah, good man. And uh, our third guest is. Uh, Dr. Rosalinda Devereaux down there in County Wexford. Uh, you're in the equine end of it, Rosalinda. Um, tell us how you got into the business. Hi, Bobby. Yeah, well, I suppose for myself, I grew up working with horses and also riding them. And when I was in secondary school, um, I started to interact with the vets a bit that were coming to treat the horses in the yard where I was working. Um, I come from the U.S., so this was in California and then in New Hampshire. Um, And that was what really made me think that I wanted to uh, not just be riding horses and working around them, but have a challenging profession as well. Um, So it's a bit of a longer route in the U.S. You actually have to go do a bachelor's um, undergraduate degree first, which I did in animal science at Cornell. And then after that, I worked for a year and then came over to this part of the world, um, actually went and studied veterinary at the Royal Vet College in London. So it was uh, sort of a circuitous route, but wow. I eventually got there. 
Very interesting. And, and you know, one of the things that amazes me about veterinary is, um, I suppose, it is, it is a lot of points. You know, you need to be academically brilliant uh, to actually get in the door. But you also then need to love animals. And I'm often wondering that, you know, do is the I, I know some uh, some young lads now that are studying out in in Budapest in Hungary, uh, and they're going to come back here to work as vets in Ireland. And I'm often wondering, they're only there because they couldn't get the points to do it here. It, it, would anybody have a view on whether the the entry level here in Ireland is is the way it should be to get the best vets working in the field? What about you, Connor? Would you have a view on that? Well, I think um, we've. Everybody would accept that points alone are, don't make good vets. But I suppose our system is based on supply and demand. And we have one course um, here in Ireland. So, um, you know, obviously the people with the highest points get in. Yeah. So I know in medicine that they've changed that and they have a HPAT, etc. But I suppose there are much, much more opportunities for you know, Irish people to study now in the European Union. Um, and so many have studied abroad, both in the UK, Budapest, in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, Latvia, you know, so there are there are lots of opportunities. Yeah. I think it's great that there is, but um, until we have a different system than the CEO, um, I guess that we're limited to uh, the places that we have. Okay. Uh, a calf being born in the background there, is it? Or <laughs> so this is what I like doing these kind of sections. What about, uh, going back to you, Elise, uh, there's lots of different types of veterinary practices and I know you're working with the uh, DSPCA which is probably very different to what say like Connor is doing uh, out there in the field in, in, in Galway so w- tell us about the type of work that you do at the DSPCA Yeah so primarily I work as a shelter vet um, which means that I'm uh, looking after a wide variety of animals so your cats, dogs guinea pigs, rabbits, um, and then a lot of the wildlife that comes through the doors. Um, so foxes, uh, swans, pigeons, seagulls, dogs, everything. So it's a very large variety of animals, but I suppose unlike private practice, um, most of the animals that come through the gates don't have owners. So we have strays, um, neglected animals, and unfortunately cruelty cases as well. So when they come through the doors, they get assessed by the veterinary team here at the DSVCA. And we put a plan in place for them for their rehabilitation. And um, and then we try to get them out to homes um, once they're rehabilitated. And so it's slightly different from private practice in yeah. that there's no owners that are there to, you know, um, love them initially. But we try we try to get every animal an owner at the end of the day. Yeah, it sounds like that. Um, and again, I, I, I can appreciate that you absolutely love what you do, but you're working at probably a challenging end of the business in the sense that you're dealing with distress cases, like you mentioned there, cruelty and yeah. abandonment yeah. and that type of stuff. So you've got to have your bad days, I'm sure. Yeah, and it is really challenging. And there are days that are really tough. And I suppose you question, you question humanity at times, but... It, that is what makes it very rewarding as well. You know, um, I have great freedom in the ability to practice veterinary because my sole interest is is the animal welfare. I don't really have to deal with an owner most of the time. So that's a great advantage. But it's just very, very rewarding to take, 
you know, a, a sick, unwanted, unloved animal and have the opportunity to get them right and give them the chance to have a full life. So yeah. while there's tough days, I really can't ask for any more than that. Um, when you get home at the end of the day, knowing that you, you've made a difference, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, Rosalinda, just in terms of your own uh, practice, the equine business, again, that must be very different to what the likes of Elise is doing then. Uh, tell us a little bit about your world and your day. Yeah, so I suppose, as you say, I'm, I'm down here in the sunny southeast. Um, my work is very seasonal in that I do a lot of um, repro work. So this time of year, I'm busy um, folding mares and um, looking after them, after, you know, to get them back in foal. Um, I also would be around sales horses and um, national hunt race horses. Um, I also would do a bit of work on the sport horse side of things um, and would be doing a few vettings. Ireland, obviously, um, we export a lot of high quality horses to the UK and America and around the world. So um, it's, my work is quite varied, but I have to say at the moment would be the absolute peak of it. Okay. So lots of new foals and all yeah. sorts of things happening. Now, I knew we were going to get lots of texts um, and I hope uh, our vets will, will, won't mind helping me answer them. Um, I've just maybe a couple that you might help me with. We recently got a lovely two-year-old Labrador. My wife and the children want to sleep uh, with him inside at night, but he has a good shed out the back. And my understanding is that's what dogs do. Uh, can the panel please advise? So this is asking from Joe, asking whether a dog should be left outside in his own shed or one should left, let him into the house. Uh, Connor, would you help me with that? I'll do my best. It wouldn't be my area of expertise. <laughs> but um, I think both work. Uh, I think it depends on the individual house. Um, I think dogs are quite happy as long as they've shelter. Um, and and this what they get used to. I think they probably get confused if 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 you decide to let them in for a while and then uh, yeah. So one or the other really decide yeah. and that's it and stick with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about this one for you, Elise? Uh, can you can you ask your guests about a cat problem? We have a cat and we've been offered another one that needs a home. It's two cats, both boys. Is this a bad idea? That comes in from Jackie. Oh, well, I suppose I'd wonder if they're both neutered or if they're unneutered. Um, generally, cats prefer to be by themselves. They they can become very stressed with really small changes in the house. Um, so they tend not to do well, uh, generally, unless they've been introduced at a very young age. Saying that, there's exceptions and there's people who get multiple cats into the same household that do very well. But I suppose I'd I'd approach with caution. Okay. Good advice there. Okay, keep them, keep them coming in. Five three one zero six. It'll only cost you thirty cent. Can we move on maybe now to the business of veterinary? And I just wanted to ask you, uh, Rosalinda, about you know generally, I suppose the business side of things. Would you be self-employed? Is are most vets self-employed? I know there's been a trend towards, I suppose, acquisitions of certain practices by large UK companies, and we we can come back to that. But tell us a little bit about the business side of your world. Yeah, so I I am self-employed. Having said that, uh, on top of sort of running the practice, I do um, what's... uh, 
sort of subcontract work to the Department of Agriculture in terms of being a temporary veterinary inspector. Um, and in that way, I am getting quite a steady income that I can rely on. Right. Once a week. And I've over the years, um, I've learned that it's quite good to have that as a steady backup. Yeah. You know, because my work fluctuates throughout the year and I have busy times and quieter times and, you know, depending on the economical environment, sometimes um, clients can be slow to pay and, you know, whereas I have to pay my suppliers every month. So, you know, I have to pay my mortgage every month. So that's something I've definitely learned from, I suppose, about 20 years in practice is that having um, that steady work yeah, steady income. Even if even if it's only a percentage of your income, at least you know exactly. it's coming, and then you you're prepared to speculate on the rest. But can I ask you this as well, Rosalind? Do, do you feel you've got better at business over the years? <laughs> I've definitely learned the hard way over right. the years. I think that's Most sure. of us do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I think I've got um, more cautious, and I've learned to stick up for myself um, and be quicker to lay things on the line and, you know, I suppose put, you know, tell people first versus last, you know, what things are going to cost, discuss with them, you know, what their situation is and what's going to be reasonable and, you know, not be shy about that because yeah. obviously we want to do everything for the animals, but at the same time, you know, there's no point in running up a big bill on somebody that, you know, that wasn't their expectation or they're just not in a situation to be able to to afford a certain treatment. So yeah. that's, I think, what I've learned the most is okay. to, to speak up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, well said. Back to you, Connor. Um, just about these uh, acquisitions of veterinary practices, I suppose, you know, given the way you told us earlier about how you got into veterinary, I assume it was always your desire to be self-employed. But maybe that isn't... That isn't an opportunity now, maybe, for a lot of the newer vets coming into the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, most vets probably um, that were in private practice would have would traditionally have had an aim to become a partner or to own a practice. And um, that would, you know, there's always been people that were happy enough to be employees or diversify into other, uh, other disciplines. I suppose in the current times, we don't know what's going to happen. But uh, it looks like there's going to be a large number of acquisitions, uh, which has a number of um, uh, effects, one of which will be reduced uh, opportunities for young graduates and students to eventually own a partnership or a practice of their own. So I suppose it's it's, it's changing times and we don't know exactly what the situation is yet. And there is some proposed legislation going into the Dáil at the moment or through the Dáil process, but um, at the moment we're kind of in a yeah, and and I I was reading as well, Connor, about you know a lot of, a lot of vets and the savage hours that a lot of you guys do again, particularly during lambing, calving, these kind of uh, times where it's all shoulders to the wheel and a lot of work, I suppose, on call outside normal, uh, on social hours, which you probably end up really never really getting paid properly for. Do you have a view on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I went to bed at half one last night. I got up at four. I'm up since. Um, we, you know, business, veterinary businesses tend to make money during normal working hours. They provide an out-of-hour service that usually loses money. <clears throat> and um, you know, from a business point of view, we have that obligation to provide 24-hour care um, 
to animals under our care. So it is like there is a conflict there. Um, and I suppose it's how best to deal with that. Um, definitely having larger practices and larger rotas is a help because we'll say in the generation before me where there was more than half practices were either one or two vets. That's completely unsustainable now. You wouldn't get anyone to work for you. Yeah. Um, to do every second night and every second weekend. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, you know, when you look at GPs and you see maybe that the government uh, supports, uh, you know, out of hours care and stuff in some degree, uh, maybe there's something that could work for vets that maybe not the same thing, but something that would, I suppose, square that circle slightly. Yeah, I mean, we're the only profession that provides this sort of cover without any support. Um, you know, and, you know, it is it is quite difficult. So, um, and there is, you know, a certain degree of burnout and, and you can understand people setting, you know, because, you know, it takes that pressure off them. Uh, and, you know, in the current climate, everybody's looking for staff and there is a, a you know, a battle for talent out there. Okay. And it's no different in veterinary. I'm finding it very hard to attract enough graduates to be able to attract. And last word to you then, Elise. Uh, and I know you're in, in gainful employment there with the DSPCA. Uh, you probably don't have to uh, lie awake at night worrying about bills being paid and stuff like that. But how do you see the future of veterinary um, evolving in this country? Interesting. Um, I think definitely as a recent graduate, I suppose there's a lot more awareness about that work-life balance and that the 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 work that, uh, you know, Connor was just mentioning is not really sustainable. Um, and I think kind of younger generations are kind of not, not interested in, in, in putting themselves in those positions where they're working late nights and early mornings and... Yeah. For 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 springtime and and then throughout the year as well, there's kind of no it's relentless. So I think it's I think it's um, like Connor said, it's the practice is getting bigger, um, more support for for graduates that are coming out, um, and I think a a realization and an understanding that it's not healthy to be to be working working like that, um, and that just to be more uh, mindful of of mental health and working hours in the future. Okay. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think that's going to be the, the emphasis going forward. Okay, well, look, you're great. Uh, all three of you are great ambassadors for what you do. Uh, we salute you, the vets. Uh, it's, it's, it's great work that you do, and it's unheralded. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, Lisa Byrne-White, Connor Garrity, and Rosalinda Devereaux, thank you very much for letting us into your, your veterinary world. We'll talk to you all again soon. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks very much. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.